Pilot Boys in the building. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, pop culture, and current events. I'm Mechadon here with my co-host, V. I'm a mentality for life. Congrats to LeBron James on delivering that fourth championship. That's right. Today is October 15th, 2020. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know you can be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. We actually have some big news today, guys. Uh, today, uh, episode 50. And episode 50 will actually be my last episode on the Pilot Boys podcast. I have a lot of stuff going on given this pandemic. And it's you've been you know finding it increasingly hard to kind of fulfill my obligations on this show. Uh, don't want to shortchange you guys, but V will be continuing on with the Pilot Boys podcast and actually has a very, very unique and special co-host that's going to be coming on named Partha Unaba. You guys probably heard of him because we had him on our show a couple weeks ago, uh, and he is the CEO of Lasso. So V, uh, how do you feel about Partha coming on the show and, and what the show will look like moving forward? Uh, obviously, you know, it's, it's, it's the end of an era. 50 episodes is a good number. Yeah. Um, completely understand what's going on in, in life. Yeah. Um, and, and what's going on in society, uh, can cause some changes, but I'm very excited about our co-host, uh, mainly because I think that he, uh, values the same things that we value and can speak on all the topics, um, that we speak on consistently. Obviously it would be a challenge because, you know, we have, a a relationship where we can pretty much complete each other's sentences. Right. But um probably I think you're I think you're you're sick of disagreeing with me and you're ready to move on. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say there are probably people out here who are probably gonna be happy to not hear my horrible takes every day, but uh or every week. But um but we definitely obviously had a great run and, and hopefully you guys will bring me back on the show and stuff like that too. Um but just right now is just just a crazy time period in life like you said and, and in society and there's just a lot of changes going on. So um, but I, I have no doubt that you guys are going to do amazing and um, I'll obviously, you know, be your guys' biggest cheerleader and, and, and support you guys. And Partha is going to be a great addition to the show. So uh, I urge everybody to continue listening, continue supporting. Um, this has been a great brand. It's been a great experience. Um, you know, I remember when we first started it, we didn't know what we were doing really. Uh, but I, and I think we've gotten a lot better since then. Um, but yeah, it's been an awesome experience and, uh, you know, kudos to you for being a great co-host as well. Definitely, definitely. I, I mean, look, the the brand is bigger than than either one of us. Mm -hmm. so we've got to keep pushing the narrative and what the brand represents, and hopefully, it continues to satisfy um, the audience of, of of Pilot Boys out there who 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 like what we talk about and the topics and how we how we tackle them. Absolutely. And looking Absolutely. forward to having you back on as a guest at some point soon. Absolutely, sweet. And so, in today's show. We actually have a special guest, uh, Zach Smith, um, who's going to talk to us a lot about college football. There's a lot going on in the SEC. Obviously, we'll do some Ohio State talk and a Big Ten uh, preview, Ohio State linebackers preview. We'll talk about Clemson and Miami. <clears throat> we'll talk about the fall of LSU. And we'll also hit some news and notes, you know, talking about some popular culture stories and mostly about the NBA, LeBron winning his championship, the NFL, uh, Baker Mayfield and the Browns, 4-1. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What's going on with Trump? stimulus and just america as a whole don't forget that our patreon subscribers will get our episodes on wednesdays a night early these donations help keep the show going if you want to help keep us on air you can donate at www.patreon.com forward slash pilot boys podcast don't forget to grab some wristbands and face masks at shop.pilotboys.com 
And be sure to leave us a five-star rating and comment on Apple. Let's go. Where the pilot boys at? Listen to the Pilot Boys podcast, episode 50, 50 episodes. We are here with a very special guest, Zach Smith of Menace to Sports. Zach, thanks for joining us. How you doing? Man, I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on. No doubt, man. So the college football season is really underway, man. And, uh, you know, through hell or high water, this season is going. And I think that's, you know, it's been a good thing, relatively speaking. I think, obviously, there have been some cases and stuff like that. But it doesn't seem like there's been anything serious um, right. in terms of like illness or anything like that that's happened. And so we'll keep monitoring that, but you know, as college football fans, we're glad to see the, see the product. So let's talk, let's start with Alabama. Cause I think, you know, they're one of the big stories. Um, you know, they, they played a, I guess a tough game with Ole Miss and Ole Miss put up 48 against them. Uh, one of the storylines that came out maybe afterward was that maybe Lane Kiffin knew their signals and was stealing signals and shit like that. I don't know if you heard about that. Yeah, but, I read about it. <laughs> yeah, but I just think it just sounds like excuses, right? I mean, because your defense looked like Big Twelve, a Big Twelve defense. What did you see from that game, and and you know, kind of the storyline following? You know, it, I once I read that, I, I just I was still hadn't watched the game. You know, the studied the film. I, yeah. I watched the game live, like a lot of people, were just kind of flipping back and forth. But when I watched the film, it it, it didn't look like they even they didn't operate the way you would need to operate when you steal signals. Like, right. I, like, what does that mean? do they have an earpiece in the quarterback's helmet? Like how, right. did, <laughs> how do they relay that information to him? Like yeah. it, they weren't doing a bunch of look back where it's like, you know, you fake a cadence, look back and, and get the defense that they're running. Like they weren't doing right. a ton of that. What they were doing was they were going fast tempo and just putting the pedal to the metal and wearing Alabama's defense out. Like some of those drives late, late in the drive as they get down in the red zone, you look and like guys are just exhausted. They're, they're, they're not only are they exhausted from the tempo, but they're Alabama still trying to sub guys like almost every other play. Yeah. And so dudes are sprinting 30 yards to get on the field and get off the field. It's like so much chaos. Right. And I mean, anytime an Alabama game has what I, I, I think I saw it was a 1,375 yards or something like that. Total offense. I think they the said highest. that was the, the highest scoring game in the SEC history regular regular total yards. Uh, with not including overtime games. Yeah, yeah most was, total I, yards. Yeah, that's that's so what do you see there? Is is Alabama just have they been where they've been exposed or is this Lane Kiffin have some juice or, or is it is it a combination of things? Well I think I think Lane Kiffin what he did was he he knew the formula to to attack Alabama, right? Mm -hmm. And it was he has he knows he has lesser talent at, at most positions, right? And the kid yeah. Elijah Moore I think could play at Alabama right That's now. A nice yeah. skill position players. Yeah, they definitely do. They and they, they have a tight end and, and a slot. And what they did was they essentially just negated the outside third of, of each field, right? Outside the hashes on both sides. They didn't want to go after the corners at Alabama because they knew they couldn't get open on them. Mm -hmm. So they went really fast tempo. They got the run game going because of the tempo, because guys were tired on defense. And then they attacked the middle of the field like, yeah. like no one ever has on Alabama. I mm -hmm. mean, almost all of it I, I had is, uh, yeah, Ole Miss's quarterback attempted three passes outside the hashes total, mm. total. Yeah, and uh, yeah. and he was only the other thing they did is is he was only blitzed nine times in the entire game. And you know if you're reeling, you start throwing throwing blitzes out. But they're going right. so fast that yeah. Alabama's just trying to get lined up and play defense. Yeah. So that seems like the formula. That seems like a formula to beat Alabama. Then. Well, that's definitely the, the talent. 
and you know, now it's like anything else. Everyone sees that. So now Alabama is going to work their butts off on it. And so right. everyone is going to try tempo against Alabama now. And, and until they answer the, the, the bell, it's it's what they're going to see every week. V, v, I got one more question. You can jump in. So, as far as the sign stealing thing, though, let's talk about that. Like, yeah. it's bigger. Is that a real thing? Like, does that happen? Is that something that we try to do? I know in the pros, you hear about it with Belichick and all that. But is that something that people try actually try to do in college? Yeah, I mean, staffs. You know, it's every staff's different. Um, but yeah, they do, and it's usually like it's never a coach. It's never. It's always like a GA. GA. <laughs> yeah, that might have like he might have some lull time whatever his responsibilities are up in the box like we had kirk barton was our ga and i can't remember who it was i think it was michigan i think it was 2012 michigan um he stole their signals and so we went the whole game greg madison was a d coordinator he would call the defense we would look fake cadence and look back and he wouldn't change his defense so we knew wow. the defense every single play wow because at wow. like second quarter wow. he had wow. he had the signals and it was over i mean That's it was crazy. like he was so stubborn he didn't want to change his calls and so we just we knew what was coming every time <laughs> yeah that's it's funny this it. whole story was built it. even the way this story came about i think it's just reflection isn't working is it working v you, your mic is on mute i think no i can hear him oh you can yeah that's funny i can't hear him okay go ahead yeah i, I was gonna say that with with what kind of added fuel to this fire was nick saban actually being the one to kind of set it and when I heard it, it's like, I, I figured he was being sarcastic. Like we were so bad that it felt right. like they were stealing our plays, but then it was supported by a player. And I think, again, this goes back to understanding one of the things that Lane Kiffin, the name Lane Kiffin kind of drives different narratives. Some people think he's just, you know, here as a result of his, who his father is, but it seems like time and time again, it over recent history, that he's actually a decent head coach. Like he knows a thing or two about football. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, the guy, the guy knows the game and you know what he, he did is, is he went, he, he failed miserably at three stops, right? The Raiders, the, the Tennessee, and then USC. And it was yeah. like, you thought, you know, that's the end of it. Like the guy's not going to get another shot. He just had three of the most premier jobs in all of football. And he did whatever, what any coach should do, right? He went to the Nick Saban school of head coaches, Like he went to Alabama and so the the backstory behind it all is is just incredible because here Lane Kiffin kind of goes out on a sour on, on a on a sour note in Alabama losing to us and then he gets the FAU job and he leaves and there's all these rumors about he slept with Saban's daughter and all this stuff and it's like then they go full circle and here Ole Miss is is putting it to Alabama so you know Saban went in that press conference just livid. Just live it because of the whole relationship history between him and Lane Kiffin. Right. Let's yeah. talk about Florida too, because you know yeah. SEC. While we're in the SEC, and you know, obviously that was one of the schools we had talked about in a previous show with you. One of your one of your picks. They lose. <laughs> Dan Mullen comes out and says some nonsense. What, what, what were your feelings about that game, and then you know the post game? Um, to hear your response to this one. <laughs> um, so let's let's talk about Florida the team before we talk about Dan Mullen because they're very yeah. different conversations for me. <laughs> right. um, the the team was I think they were exactly what I thought they were all year. Their their defense is very suspect, right? And, and that was proven. They just got ran through in, on on the ground and in the air. Um, their their secondary is suspect, and I I didn't think they had a great defense. Now what they do have is a great quarterback, and he didn't play that bad. He just he really has two options 
Kadarius Tony, the slot receiver, and Kyle Pitts, the tight end. And they're both phenomenal football players. But outside of that, there's nothing. There's no one on the outside that's going to get open or help you win a game. There's no run game that's going <laughs> to help you do anything. And so they're very, very, very one-dimensional. And it's it was going to be problematic this year, and it just reared its head on Saturday. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and Texas AM just, I mean, they just handed the ball off and pounded them. Mm-hmm. And and just, I mean, it was it was not, you know, sometimes you have those losses where you're like, God, that's that was bad. Like that wasn't good. And then you have those losses like they had Saturday that are demoralizing, where like it just tears the 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 seams off of your program because it's like they just ran the ball down your throat and you couldn't really do much on offense other than throw to your one or two good players. Right. Can you tell as far as Dan Mullen? Before oh, you jump in, jump in on Jan, Dan Mullen, I've, I've been meaning to ask you this about Mound, right? Yeah. Is he a? Does he have what it takes to kind of be a next level quarterback? Because it's hard for me to evaluate when you look at the guy. You're like, he's got it, but then you're not sure when you watch the games of how good is he? Is he a next level quarterback? I mean, I I don't think he's he's there yet. He maybe he he's gonna have to show me a lot. Um, he, he, he makes the plays every now and then that show you that he has that talent, but he he's too inconsistent. I mean, you could look at Saturday, he played a great game, right? Yeah. But one game's not going to, not going to put, make someone think you're going to be a, a next level talent or an NFL quarterback. So he's got to show me a lot and he's got to show me against Bama. You know, if, when he, when he plays these, these good defenses, cause Florida's not a good defense. Yeah. So I got to see him perform against a good defense. And I think Bama has one. Unless they go tempo the whole game, then it, then maybe not. Yeah, <laughs> but um, we'll see. I, I I like him. He showed me a lot Saturday. I didn't think he was capable of playing the way he played Saturday. So if he keeps proving, I guess that he is that, then sure he could be. He has the talent, right? That's what you yeah. need. Yeah. Now you want to get to Dan Mullen? Yeah, let's talk about Dan Mullen. <laughs> Good boy. Um, I will. I will. I will say exactly what I just said on my show when I recorded it. Mm-hmm. I said, what a petulant little baby. Yeah. yeah. And, and and this is a word that actually Steve Adazio called Dan Mullen in a Florida staff meeting, a petulant. He didn't say baby. He said, yeah. bitch, but a petulant <laughs> little bitch. Yeah. Because that's yeah. what he is. Yeah. He lost the game and he got his ass handed to him. Mm-hmm. And then immediately he tries to, he, he tries to say, we need to pack the swamp against LSU. First of all, LSU yeah. stinks. Right. Shut up. Yep. Second of all, there was 24,000 fans at Texas A&M. Now you yeah. need 90,000. Right. And yeah. it's like immediately blaming yeah. the fact that Texas A&M had fans. And that's why you lost. No, you lost because your program is yep. flawed. Your defense mm-hmm. is suspect. And you don't have playmakers on the outside, Dan. And it's like, <laughs> what, why are we complaining about fans and the governor? And But that's who he is. That's who he is. Yeah. He's yeah. such a petulant little bitch that he does that. And it's just crazy to see, to see driving, the, yeah. these, these coaches who make so much money and who are responsible for so many young kids' lives and that, and who are theoretically leaders. And and then this is how they act. It's just, it, that drives me insane. It just drives me insane. Well, you know, yeah. you, you, know you are, you, you get what you hire, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's no secret that that's right. how Dan Mullen was. And for any athletic director to, all you got to do is pick up the phone and call a couple people and you're going right. to find out that's who he is. Same with Tom Herman, right? Yeah. You are, you get what you hire. Mm-hmm. And I, I talked about it a lot last year with Willie Taggart and totally different conversation. He's an upstanding man, but yeah. he's not a good football coach. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And people are surprised when those people are the people that they always have been. It's like, yeah. what's surprising? <laughs> like you got what you hired. That's right. who you hired. Right. I, I wanted to ask right. you a question Absolutely. specifically about that, about why do these guys fail forward, 
right? Because Tom Herman oh, wasn't doing a good, he, he had an initial run at Houston, but by the time he had left, there were some holes and issues in that program as well. But he fails forward. The same thing with Dan Mullen. He yeah. fails forward to a better program. Just wanted you to shed some light on what actually is happening behind the scenes and how you know what? these it's, guys it's, get these reputations that allow them to, to, to get better positions despite potential issues that they have. Well, it's, the college football has changed so much in the last, let's say, I don't know, 20 years where <clears throat> I, I go back to the story of how Urban Meyer got his first head coaching job, right? Bowling Green has a vacancy, right? They're, they don't know who to hire. Nowadays, that means you hire a search firm. There's all these politics involved. The right agents get in with the search firms and you end up with a coach that his agent did a great job connecting with the search firm. That's how guys get jobs now, right? Tom Herman has the eight, Trace Armstrong is his agent. The same guy Urban has. That's how he got to Ohio State. It's all, it's all agent driven and politically yeah. driven. Now, back in 2001, here's how Bowling Green got a head coach. They have the, their biggest booster, probably the, one of their only boosters who donates like a good amount of money where Ohio State has 100, Bowling Green has one, yeah. is a guy that played high school football for my grandfather. So he yeah. calls my grandfather and says, hey, we need a coach. Like our, our program's stale. We need a coach. And he said, you need to go hire Urban Meyer from Notre Dame. So the guy picked up the phone and brought Urban in, off, interviewed him, offered him the job. That's how it used to work. Like it used to work on connections and coaches and, and, and recommendations. And nowadays it doesn't nowadays. It's just who, who has a hot agent, whose agent does a good job. And you see guys all the time. You see coordinators all the time, just fail, fail, fail. And there's, then they're the defensive coordinator at Texas. And you're like, how in the hell yeah, did yeah. this guy get the coordinator job? But yeah. it's all agencies. It's all your agent represents this head coach and he represents you and he that agent wants you to be a head coach so he can make a percentage of that head coach salary so he contacts his guy that's his client at texas tom herman and says hey you need to hire this coordinator and so boom it happens it's all agent driven and it's disgusting yeah and let's talk let's talk some more. we're still talking the sec because there's yeah. you know obviously there there's always reasons to talk about them but georgia see the thing man and it's so funny because what I what I do to Georgia is what I don't want people to do to Ohio State, right? I don't want people to like look at your past failures and your traditional and things that have happened and, and judge you based on that, right? Right. Um, but the difference is Ohio State has actually won, you know, championships <laughs> no, recently, right? So True. like, it's hey, not Georgia went to one, right? Yeah, yeah. That was yeah, a huge accomplishment. Get it? Actually, you yeah, didn't it was, it, they didn't end up right. They don't win. Like, that's what I think of when I think of them. I feel like they always yeah. have the talent. They always have, are always almost there, but they just can't win. And that was even back when uh, your boy was the coach. What's his name? What can I even remember his name? Mark Rick. Rick. Mark Rick was the coach, yeah. you know. Um, but they look, they look good, man. What, what, how do you evaluate them? When you, well, when you know what? I, 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 I picked that as my upset of the week. I didn't think Tennessee would win, but I said if, I thought if there was going to be an upset, that was the one, right? Mm -hmm. I, would, I didn't think Florida was going to get beat. Yeah. And, and after when I watched the game at the end of the game, obviously the second half, they put up like 24 unanswered points. So you, you end the game and you feel like, wow, Georgia yeah. just destroyed Tennessee. But when you go back and watch it, it's not, that's not what happened. No. Tennessee. I mean, Georgia tried to give Tennessee the game in the first half, right? Mm -hmm. They had, they gave up a fumble for a touchdown. They missed on fourth down and Tennessee got the ball in the 36. Then and Tennessee really had one drive that was worth a shit, and they find themselves up 21-17, right? Yeah. They come out the second half, and Tennessee, it was almost like they went in the locker room like, that was nice of them. We should do it, we should do it back, right? right. Yeah. And so they come out, and they get two field goals in the third quarter because 
Tennessee fumbles the ball, and then Tennessee uh, Jerry uh, Garantano throws an interception, and and they don't. The defense holds them three and out, and they kick two field goals, right? right. And then they legitimately had two drives in the whole game that were that were solid drives. But that's that's the kind of the the explanation or for my my wrong pick, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but what you did see was. Um, Georgia didn't run the ball great. Zamir White is a talented back, but he I think he averaged like 2.9 yards per carry. They threw the ball okay. They just have a monster in the slot in Kiaris Jackson. The kid is a beast. And his quarterback is a very functional. He reminds me of his Alabama quarterbacks back in the early Saban days where they're not that good. They just right. kind of manage the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. McElroy. So but Georgia, they're, Georgia's they're defense. They rush out of winning the SEC. I think they do because of their defense. Yeah, you're watching yeah. all these teams play, and it looks like the Big Twelve, but the but Georgia doesn't look like the Big Twelve. Right. I mean, they only had three missed tackles, which is my huge thing that I that I track is three missed tackles is that's, ridiculous that's for a whole ridiculous. game. Yeah. They held Tennessee to minus one rushing yards. That's crazy. Yeah. Like it's they're playing on D, and they, I think they have two of the best corners in the country. And so they're playing what they're doing on defense is is phenomenal. I mean, it's impressive, and so it's going to be insane to watch this week uh and really watch them go down the run when they play alabama play play florida and, and mm-hmm. whoever else they have to play moving right. forward you know another storyline right. that that we've talked about a lot is how these divisions within the big 10 and sec are divided right and the advantages that that creates do you think that within the sec and big 10 that either one of these conferences are going to going to address the fact that one side of the division is so much more stacked than the other. Typically. It's just tough, right? Cause it's, it's so fickle. It's, it's such an ever changing thing. Like, like what division in the sec is the best this year of the East probably. Right. Cause yes. it's Alabama in the West, maybe a and M second Auburn, a distant third. So probably the, the East is better this year, but you can't say that two years ago, like two yeah. years ago, the West was far better. So it's like, how do you do it? Do you realign every year? Do you, or do you just get rid of it all? And it's just have more a, clear in the Big Ten, right? That it's, it's way more clear in the Big Ten, but but I mean, it's way yeah, it's way more clear in the Big Ten. But um, I I I think they did that because of because of uh lo- school location, trying to keep the Michigan game intact. Like I think they they had reasons for doing it, and in my opinion, just get rid of the divisions. You can still have a championship game. The top two teams go and just just have a full conference and and schedule accordingly. Yeah. Last thing on the, on SEC is LSU. I mean, you know, I, I I struggle to kind of figure out where to place LSU uh, in terms of like overall ranking of overall programs. I mean, part of this is they lost a ton of talent on offense and defense, a ton of starters. They lost the offensive coordinator. They lost a lot. So to, to expect them to kind of come back and, and be dominant again probably isn't realistic. But then <clears throat> you look at schools like Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson and these schools, and they lose a ton of people every single year and coordinators and top players, and they come back and they're dominant every year. Um, and and LSU also lost to like Missouri and Mississippi State. These aren't like real you know p- yeah. powerhouse programs. Right. How right. do you how do you evaluate? I guess what's happening at LSU, and 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 then also where do you kind of put them in terms of like the overall ranking of programs in, in college football? Well, LSU had a, had a daunting task in front of them. Not only what you just said, they lost both coordinators. They lost the greatest quarterback that's ever wore the the uniform mm-hmm. in, in in Louisiana. And so that's a daunting task in and of itself. The other thing that's hard to do is when you win, when you win a national championship, especially if you've never won one, that's a huge, huge, huge obstacle moving forward. 
because you have so much going on. I think back to 2014 and part of the reason why we, I mean, we all know the real reason we didn't repeat in 2015, but part of it was all of a sudden you go to the off season and Cardale Jones is throwing out the first pitch at the, at the Reds game. And mm-hmm. this guy is going to the Indians game and this guy is doing an ESPN special and this guy's right. flying to New York. And it's like, all of a sudden you're like the hot ticket and mm-hmm. everybody's pulling on you. And it takes a lot to be able to refocus and, and remember how you want it. Like that mm-hmm. grind, that yeah. work you put in because you feel like you, you achieved it. You reached the top of the mountain and you don't realize that's just like a peak. You got to yeah. keep climbing. Right. And, and so I think that's what they're dealing with. But I think also what you saw Saturday, there was the end of that game told me, re, I guess, reinforced what happened when they had, they started having some opt outs before the year that mm-hmm. there is an issue at LSU right now that needs fixed. And it might be coordinators. It might be just culture. Mm-hmm. It might be that all that success went to their head. But when you have first and goal from the half yard line yeah. against Missouri and yeah. your LSU, you literally could just quarterback sneak it four times and mm-hmm. you're going to get in eventually. Mm-hmm. And they got stopped four plays in a row yeah. against Missouri. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I just like, it'd be one thing if Missouri beat them some trick plays. Maybe they turned it over a hundred times. No, no, no. Right. They had the chance to win the game from the half yard line. Much better players, much better team. And they got stuffed. <laughs> and when you look at so when you and when you look at LSU, because this is a conversation we were having on Twitter a little bit. Um, people, you know, I posted that if this was Ohio State, you know, people they wouldn't get any. Nobody would cut them any slack. And a couple people responded, "Well, like LSU isn't on the same level as Ohio State, so yeah, their expectations are different." Do you view it that way? Where do you view LSU over in terms of overall programs? Are they top ten? Are they top fifteen? Are they top twenty? You know. How do you view, how do you, I mean, even if you don't have the exact number, how do you just view their program generally? Yeah, I, th- I think they're, I mean, they're certainly a top 10 program. Okay. I mean, not this year. Their team's not a top 10 team, but they're a top mm-hmm. 10 program. Um, but I think there are, they're a cut below. They're a cut yeah. below Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, and maybe even Georgia, even though mm-hmm. Georgia, like you said, hasn't really won a national championship. Georgia has been consistently in the playoff conversation year in, year out for whatever, mm-hmm. five years. Yeah, LSU true. has not been. LSU mm-hmm. had one ridiculous year. Yeah. And so they have to they have to bring it and you don't even have to make the playoffs. You have to be on the TV on selection Sunday. Yeah. And you may finish fifth or sixth, but at right. least you're there. You're in the mm-hmm. conversation. Yeah. You put that together five years in a row. Now you're on a step up, right? Right. And so this was out last year was supposed to be LSU's like launching pad into that that's that stratosphere. Yeah. And this year it's like, whoops, they fell right. so far out. Like they were up there for a minute and now they're yeah. back down. And, right. and also about the culture aspect, right? It's like, what does it kind of say overall about how the program is viewed internally when your best player opts out, right? Like oh, yeah. this is a guy who's probably going to win the Bolitnikoff this year if he, if he plays, but he looked at the landscape of the program and said, you know what? <laughs> I'm just going to go to the NFL. Yeah. What does that kind of also say? And how does that impact recruiting in the brand? when you have a premier player kind of saying those things. And then also some of the things that the coach said to put his foot in his mouth uh, throughout the off season. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it's definitely telling, right? It tells you something. And and I was on a huge kick about it. Like that, that Jamar chase and Michael Parsons at Penn state. And there, there's some of these premier players that are opting out. And then you look at Ohio state and my, my whole thing was they have first round guaranteed first round players. They were not only like not opting out, but they were fighting to play. And I think it tells, uh, it tells the story, right? It tells the story of the program. Like that kid, Jamar Chase did not want to go through this season for a number of reasons. And we're watching one of them right now, every Saturday, 
Yeah. Right. But there's yeah. more to it than that. Like that kid could have helped. Maybe they would be three and oh right now if he was playing. Who knows? Right. right. Um, but it definitely it speaks to the culture. Now, how much that resonates with recruits? Eh, I think teams like Ohio State can use it in recruiting. Right. Yeah. To, to try to show a kid that the culture there maybe isn't what it is in Columbus. But I don't know. I, at the end of the day, I think players see they saw LSU win it all. They go there. They see all the, the bright lights and the jerseys and the Heisman Trophy sitting there. I think they. They don't. I don't know how much of an impact it has immediately. Now, five years from now, if it, if if they have that culture problem, it's going to destroy them. Yeah. Let's talk about let's talk about Clemson and Miami real yeah. quick because that was a game that we thought maybe a tough game for Clemson. It uh, I and it just it just wasn't. Does that game say you know Clemson destroyed them pretty much? And does that game say more to you about Clemson and more to you about Miami? It's it showed me everything about Miami. I th- I think. Uh, we were excited because Miami showed flashes against some pretty bad teams. And the reality is Miami is not back. They don't have talent on the perimeter. They just don't, they don't have receivers. They don't have, uh, they don't have running backs. I mean, they, they got a premier quarterback to come in and the poor guy had no help, no help. I mean, they, he couldn't, he couldn't, he was getting pressured half the time. He was, didn't have a guy that got open Clemson. And and so, you you know, it's, it's hard. What do you attribute it to? Is right. Miami that bad or Clemson that good? I think Clemson's really, really good at corner. Like they, yeah. they rotated six corners, which I don't know. We we rotated like three or four at Ohio State. They're rotating six. Yeah, and I mean, crazy. all of them play 35 plays. So it's not mm-hmm. like one guy's a stud. I think that's that's really impressive because yeah. they're really talented. They're really good and they're fresh. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, right? As they go down, I don't know who they're going to play. Like who? Who that's has? What I was ask. Is there anyone? Yeah. Who, no, yeah, North like Carolina, but they they were in a shootout with Virginia Tech. They didn't. Yeah, look I mean, good. but even like even if what I always go back to is even if there's not a team that's going to give Clemson a run for their money, who is has talent somewhere that can expose maybe a weakness in Clemson, right? Like who has a great defensive line that might be able to expose their O line or and, and you look at it, and it's like not nobody really. Like Notre Dame's offensive line maybe could show us that we people could move Clemson and run the ball on them. But Notre Dame doesn't have the skill players to challenge sec- Clemson's secondary. North Carolina certainly doesn't either. So it's like it's it's disappointing because not only do I not think there's really anyone to test Clemson, but there's not even anyone that can really give us an indication of a weakness or test them in one facet of the game, right? Yeah. It's like yeah. it's just disappointing. I've got to, I've got two follow-up questions to that, which is we talked about Georgia earlier and what their issue is, right? Like getting yeah. over the hump. You know they're a good team. You know they're talented. But they go into any big game, you know they're going to lose it. That was Clemson's reputation yeah. for a long, long time. Yep. They broke that. One, what, what do you think that's attributed to? And then the second thing is the same question we ask about the Big 12. The ACC obviously was never the greatest conference, but they did have teams like Virginia Tech, the U, Florida State, you know, even Boston College that was going to compete. Yeah. What has happened to that conference as well? Um, just like the Big 12. Yeah, it's it's I mean it's fallen off the map. It really has. I mean Virginia Tech obviously had had a, a long history of of being a, a great program, right? And uh they were kind of that second tier that could beat anybody. A Thursday night game, you know, at night in Virginia Tech was always a struggle. And then Miami and Florida State have completely fallen off. Now, Miami's resurged back a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, all the major players in the conference are extremely down. 
And it's yeah. like, it was never a, an elite conference, but it was always a solid conference. But yeah. when you take the likes of Miami, Florida State, Virginia Tech, and you just completely bring them down at least one level, maybe two levels, now it's like it's literally one team and a bunch of just below average teams. Yeah. And that and that's the funny thing, because I think when people talk about the Big Ten, they try to say it's the same thing with Ohio State, but it's not actually. It's it's you know, there are other teams like Penn State, Minnesota, Wisconsin that are actually playing good football. You know, Michigan's not, and so that kind of hurts the conference a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and Michigan State generally does, and the last few years they haven't. Right. But it's not the same. It's not there is it is still I mean, it may not be like the SEC, but it's still it's not like the ACC at all in that regard. No, yeah. and it's it's just I, I I go on these rants about Midwest football. I classify Notre Dame in with the Big Ten, even though they're in the ACC. But that the it's all about a brand, right? And the weaker your brand gets, the harder it's going to be to recruit kids to come play in that brand. And it's just mm. like you're watching the, the 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 power conferences diminish, and now kids from the California are going everywhere: Ohio State, Alabama. Mm. They're not staying at USC. Why? Because because Pac-12 football sucks, right? And it's right. like the Big Twelve better watch out. Because speaking of the Pac, speaking of the Pac-12, is there anybody out there you know that I mean worth talking about? I mean, obviously their season starts in a few, maybe next seven month. game season. Is so there anyone else seven that we're talking about? Yeah, I mean, Oregon and Arizona State are my are the two teams that I liked preseason before all this nonsense, like uh, chaos. I guess not nonsense, just chaos. Um, so those are the teams that I liked, but I, I'm I'm in a wait and see mode with the Pac-12 because they not only do I not trust the Pac-12, but on top of that, they had the wildest COVID of anyone. Like the state yeah. of California, the state of yeah. Oregon, like right. it was like if you went outside, people would shoot you. Like it was like <laughs> so strict that I don't know what they got done. I don't even know. I think I I would not be shocked if California's governor believed that Zoom calls co- contracted COVID and they weren't allowed to do that. <laughs> I mean, they were not allowed to do anything. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm like, I don't trust it. I, yeah. How good is their defense going to be? That, that Like, I feel like, are, are they even allowed back in facilities today? Like, I'm I don't know sure. if they are yet. I really don't know. Yeah. yeah. I know if they are, it's been very recent that they've been allowed to come back and like bench press even. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Last thing too, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get you out of here. Um, is uh, Ohio State the Ohio State preview? Obviously, we always want to talk about the Buckeyes. Yeah, you know we're less than ten days now for our, or no eleven days yeah. away. Yep. <clears throat> Actually, they play on the twenty fourth, so um, so we're almost there. And you know, it's the national from the national landscape. People who are looking at it nationally, they're just looking at Ohio State, and that, they don't think that there's any other conference that or any other team in the conference that can really compete with them. Um, and maybe that's true, but I do think one of the things we want to talk about is just some of the specific thing issues that Ohio State may have yeah. nationally. And so we look at the linebackers, right? Yeah. And that may be an issue. Some people may look at that as a position of strength, and other people may disagree. Where do you land kind of on, on Ohio State's linebacking core going into this season? You know what? It's funny. It's been two years of, of really the same story for me with the linebackers, and it's it, not by surprise, it's the same players. Like there's no, like there's been no real attrition. Malik Harrison, I guess they lost after last year, but um, I'm, I love Pete Warner. I think he's going to be a a very, very good football player. They moved him to will. So I think that's, that's his role. That's where he should be is playing that, that will that Ryan Shazier linebacker, right? Mm Because he's he's explosive. He's fast. Shoot. He played safety uh, a handful of snaps last year, even against Clemson. So he's really athletic. I really like Pete. Um, Baron Brownie's going to have to take a step. I'm sure he will because he's as talented as anyone on the roster. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited about those two. Um, I'm hit or miss on tough Borland. I think he's a tough Borland 
right now to this defense in the linebacking core is what JT Barrett was to the 2016 Buckeyes. And it's like, what do you do? He's a solid player. He's a good player. Absolutely has every intangible you want. He is a leader. He's tough. And when you play Wisconsin, he's going to, and Iowa's, he's going to beat him in a hole and, and, and knock him back. But he's not a premier linebacker. And it's like, what do you do? That, yeah. I mean, he is your your heart and soul of your defense, your team, a captain. What do you do? Yeah. And you put Dallas Gannon. You put Taraja Mitchell in because they're more talented. Mm-hmm. But are, so are they better players? I don't know. That's what I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see who plays. Yeah. Who plays because I think there there could potentially be some weaknesses there in the linebacking core, but they have the talent, right? Yeah. That's what matters. Yeah. That's that's definitely good in, good insight, and I think also, like you said, the talents there. People need to step up. This is a big year. So that's it. That's it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And tell us one more time too. Tell us about your your tailgate. Uh, no, not a tailgate. Oh, you did Sorry. it again. I you're gonna, you're gonna get me arrested. What the hell is <laughs> it's not a tailgate. It's an event, an, ex, an experience. Tell us an about experience. your experience that you have. Just trying to stay legal over here, Mecca. Yeah. You know, you know my past issues. <laughs> my, bad, my bad, bro. So tell us um, little, once again about your experience. Yeah, so we're we're doing the first. So we we're gonna have these huge huge events, right? Watch parties, whatever you want to call them. COVID hit, and so now we're we're gonna do do one for the first game. It's gonna be smaller, limited, very limited tickets, so everyone can social distance. We're gonna wear masks. You know, we're gonna follow all the guidelines and be safe about it. We're taking temperatures at the door, like we're not we're not just being flipping idiots and getting drunk with and watching a game. But it's gonna be sweet. It's on October twenty fourth. We have uh, tickets just went on sale yesterday. It's all all you can eat, all you can drink, all included. Um, right next to Varsity Club, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. We have a VIP area. Uh, it's gonna be tented and covered, and and great food and and TVs everywhere. It's gonna be fun. And Braxton Miller's gonna be there. Um, oh. I'm sure a bunch of other people will be, but it's really Braxton and I putting on the event. So we're excited about it. It's October 24th. We start it. The kickoffs at noon, so we'll start at probably like 10 and and go through the the game. Perfect. I love it, man. Definitely, definitely. If you want to, if you want to go watch the game and also hear good analysis and learn a few things about football. You got to go check this out. So it's all on our website, Menace to Sports. So that's where we have the tickets and all the info. Also, thanks, man. You know, like I said, this is this is my last show. Uh, and, I, you know, I don't think people know how instrumental you were to helping us get this show off the ground um, behind the scenes in terms of just literally step by step walking us through it. And this is 50 episodes that we had completed. Man, so really, yeah, I know it's crazy. So. Uh, make sure you guys both have me back. <laughs> um, you know, I'm still around. Don't, I'm not. I'm not gone all all the way. But I, I definitely wanted to thank you for that as yeah. well publicly because I don't think a lot of people know. And um, and also make sure you keep going with your show because I think it's amazing and and I think there's there's no limit to to where you guys can go with it, with this. No doubt. Well, I'm excited for the future, V, and I'm and, and I'm excited for the first episode where V says what we're we're gonna welcome our guest, Mecca Don. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. it's gonna be weird, but I'm ready for it. Right. We're, for I'm sure. excited All for right, it. Thanks, I definitely want to echo echo Mecca's sentiment sentence. Um it sucks because I think that uh he's helpful and I hope Zach doesn't abandon me now that uh <laughs> now never that. that, never that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, awesome, man. Well you're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. Uh, enjoy, enjoy the rest of your weekend and take care. Love the pilot boys podcast. Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1. And we have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash pilot boys podcast. Show us some love today. You're listening to the pilot boys podcast. I'm going to hit some news and notes. Are you ready? Yeah, let's get it. 
All right. Well, first, let's do a couple RIPs. RIP Eddie Van Halen. RIP Joe Morgan. Um, you know, it just seems like the, the the good ones are the ones that definitely influenced us and and you know our generation and the generations before us. Just just keep going. Twenty 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 twenty. This seems to be unrelenting in that regard. Yeah, it does. And both of these figures are very very critical for different reasons. Um, Eddie Van Halen. People don't understand the influence he had in helping the crossover between rock and hip hop and pop music. Um, and just that type of energy, which is, this is all about the music. This is all about the craft and I'm going to embrace things that are outside of my norm and, 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 and who I am. And also I think he had a biracial identity too, which, which presented unique challenges and, and a unique story. I just think obviously everyone who's said anything about him talks about how genuine he, he was with his craft, not to mention how great of a guitar player, almost any guitar yeah. player you talk to um, says that. And then Joe Morgan, specifically in Ohio, I don't think in any team sport, um, Ohio has ever seen a run of dominance like the Cincinnati Reds had with that big red machine. Mm-hmm. Just how much talent they had. You had, you know, he's overshadowed by Pete Rose and Johnny Bench and others, but Joe Morgan's a two-time National League MVP five-time, um, I think Cy Young, but not Cy Young, um, but one of the best best second basemen ever to play the game um, and should be respected for that by Ohio sports fans. Yeah, and also a statesman too, so that's, yeah. Uh, they'll definitely, they'll both definitely be missed. Uh, we, you just talked about Ohio sports. It's, it's kind of a good segue into, into the Browns, the Cleveland Browns, four wins in a row. Uh, four and one now, just you know, beating the Indianapolis Colts. Um, the Colts have injuries, but so do the Browns. The Browns have a lot of injuries as well. Uh, it looks like things are clicking. The defense still has some struggles. Baker still, you know, he plays. He's playing pretty well, but he still has a couple things that you're like, why, why did you do that? But for the most part, it seems like a pretty well oiled machine. And I like uh, Stefanski's demeanor. What do you see from them? Is this real? I mean, obviously, it's in the craziest division when you have Baltimore and Pittsburgh. But is this real? It looks real. And let me say this is this isn't about wins or losses, whether we make the playoffs or not this year, where our record shows that we're a good team. The Browns needed a culture shift and an identity. We talked about this in college football with Zach a lot about establishing a culture and establishing an identity. And for the longest time, the Browns culture was chaos, right? You didn't know and you didn't have any stability. I think I was wrong about Stefanski. I was I was questioning whether the hire was the right one. Um, and then we also have to have credit to Andrew Barry too, um, the the new GM. Mm-hmm. Young guys who aren't influenced by whatever history the Browns present and are able to openly create a new culture and a new identity that isn't anchored um, to the negative energy of the past. I just think it's amazing. Stefanski, he is an amazing coach who understood the talent that we have and how best to utilize that talent. When you have Kareem Hunt and you have Nick Chubb on in your lineup, it doesn't matter if you have Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, you have to establish the running game. And he's mm-hmm. done that. I mean, yeah. Do you have any, any? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's the thing is that, you know, first of all, the getting Kareem Hunt on the team, I think at the time that it happened, we knew that that was big. Right. Yeah. And, you know, given his troubles on other stuff, whatever, despite that, it wasn't a guy that should be out of the league. 
And so we thought that was a big deal. I mean, he's essentially an all-pro running back that I was playing backup, you know, yeah. and was willing to accept that role given the circumstances. So that's why, you know, obviously when Nick Chubb went down, you know, as Browns fans, we were all very sad um, and, you know, hopeful for him to return quickly. But we also knew, like, there's another all-pro running back waiting right yeah. there. You know what I mean? Like, this isn't. This is not a typical scenario, especially in the NFL. In college, you can see stuff like that happen, but not in the NFL. Yeah. Um, not to mention, like you said, that establishing identity. I mean, even Dearness De- Johnson's coming in balling. So it's like yeah. establishing the identity, I think, is very important. And when you do that, things will open up on the outside for other guys. And, they, you know, they run creative plays. They Jarvis throws passes. Odell's throwing passes. I mean, they're not a boring team. Um, but at the same time, they, they're going to run the football. And until somebody can stop it, that's what they're going to do. And, and, I, and I love that because I think it also brings Baker along as well. Cause, and, then, and the last thing I'll say on Baker is, you know, I think Baker has had he's, – he's been humbled in the league, right? I think he yeah. came in with a certain level of confidence, and he's been humbled to this point. Um, and losing will do that to you, regardless of how well you, you play or you think you played. Um, but he's still a young dude, you know, and I think that by current NFL standards, he's not, right? Because once you're in your, you know – Second year, it's like all of a sudden you're a veteran. You got Justin you know? Herbert coming in and balling first year, you know? Right. So Yeah. So that's kind of the standard, but I, I don't think it's necessarily the way it should be. Um, so, th- But this also will help build up his confidence, and I think a lot of quarterbacking has to do with confidence. So that's where wins and losses matter to me a little bit is because I think that previous years, this same Browns team would be 1-4, 0-5, you know? Yeah. Um, but they also are figuring out a way to win games even games where they're blowing leads and stuff like that, like they're still winning those games. And I think there's a, you can just look at the Chargers in contrast, Yeah. right? They figure out a way to lose games. You know, yeah. that team could easily be four and one. And now yeah. I think they're one and four. So yeah. that's what I like about culture change. Yeah. And, I, and you know, it's so funny. It reminds me, you know, we were, we were front row um, passengers for the 08 Giants team, right? Mm-hmm. On the Super Bowl. And you look at what's happening in the running backs room is it's like all of those guys, people are like, how does a team run Ahmad Bradshaw, Brandon Jacobs and Derek Ward and all of them be happy. Mm-hmm. And that's about establishing identity. They all yeah. motivate each other. And you're yeah. seeing that now with Darnest Johnson. If you've got two pro bowl running backs in front of you who are establishing a culture, that's going to force you to re- raise your level of play as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, that team ended up with a Super Bowl win by establishing the run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kudos, yeah. the Browns could do the same. Yeah. I mean, I think that they're in position. I mean, they play the Steelers this weekend, um, which is which is a big game, obviously, just for the division. The Steelers are undefeated um, up to this point. And, you know, I mean, you're talking about Baltimore. <laughs> I think, you know, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, it's amazing the Browns, as well as they're playing, could end up being third in that division. So this is a big chance towards establishing, uh, you know, kind of what that division is going to look like for the rest of the season. And then also, you know, kind of another measuring stick, uh, another team that people think could go to the Super Bowl. So let, let's see, you know, Baltimore, you played them week one. So let's just, let's take that out. Right. We don't yeah. week one, you know, but now you get a chance to see where do, where do you really measure up? I mean, and this division, you know, in contrast to the NFC East may now be if the Browns are re- legit too, because, maybe the best conference, right? Because mm-hmm. you've got the Ravens, you've got the Steelers and the Bengals, even though they're not winning, they're competing. Yes. You know, they're not just like, like a, they're a, not in easy game. Yeah. yeah. So we'll, we'll see. What, well, what, you brought up the NFC East and that, you know, obviously brings me to 
excuse me, to Dak Dak Prescott's injury, um, which was just nasty ankle injury. He's had surgery already. He looks like he's going to be out for the season. Uh, The Cowboys, and it's funny. So when we're talking about just how we mentioned Kareem Hunt, when they brought in, when they brought him in, what we were thinking. I also kind of felt that same way when the Cowboys brought in Andy Dalton. Yeah. Because although Dalton is not, you know, he's not the best quarterback ever. He's also not close to the worst. And he's a guy that's actually led many teams to the playoffs, even though they didn't win any games. He's, he's had winning seasons. He's played winning football at different points in times. And he's a big time veteran. You know, he was in a, in a system for a long, a long time, or at least the same city for a long time. Not like a journeyman, like Fitzpatrick or Case Keenum, one of these guys. So I he's thought made pro bowls before. So. Yeah. I think he made <laughs> one, you know? And so like, he's a guy that, you know, and then even from fantasy, I think that one he's had a top five finish and stuff like that. So like, he's a guy that I felt like, obviously he's not Dak for them in terms of, you know, maybe the leadership and camaraderie and all those type of things. And, um, but he is a guy that can, that can help them get it done. And I, I was actually proving this last week. I mean, they came back and won that game <clears throat> and uh, that, that conference is wide open. So I guess a couple of things. One is, you know, I've heard different things about how this may affect Dak. Cowboys are acting as if they're gonna, they're still going to be committed to him. That's number one. And then the second thing is, what do you think when you look at that that division? Um, can they do it with Dalton? I mean, I think they can. They're going to have to outscore everyone. This is like the the Cowboys and the Falcons have both kind of established their identity in this league, right? It's like mm-hmm. their offense is going to have to put up big points to win. And this is right. this is Dalton's opportunity say that because the, tr- the truth is the reason there's a lot here, right? This is obviously the nightmare of all nightmare scenario mm-hmm. for Dak Prescott. Like we cheer the guy, we cheer the guy that comes on, comes in and proves it. Right. And he came in and said, I'm going to play on the franchise, the franchise tag, and I'm going to prove my worth without long-term security. Mm-hmm. I think this is a failure. I think, the business side of this is a failure by his agency yeah. and agents to, to secure his long-term health, especially in a sport like football. That injury was gruesome. Who knows when he'll come back from it. It's great that he's going to get 35 million, but I don't think that in a sport like football, I don't know where you fall on this, but I don't think that you can afford to do that same thing, which is when you have the opportunity to establish your long-term security that you come in and you don't do that. I think, well, I think, I think, you know, and you said this before in different contexts, like everybody's situation and circumstances are different, right. And their and their way and their method of evaluation. One thing about that's unfortunate in some ways about kind of the NFL contracts, especially at those ones at the top is you realize that you're also setting the market. Right. And so you, uh, you're either setting the market or you're following the market. Right. And so, you know, it's not what you do and what you decide to do doesn't just necessarily affect you. It, it, It can affect, many other people and even generations after that. So, um, and then what you think is fair. I mean, at a certain point, it's kind of like you have to establish what you think your value is. It's not one of those things where, um, where you automatically just have to accept what people tell you your value is, right? You got to kind of take a stand. I mean, we've seen this in many other, many other big names have done holdouts and, you know, even on the Cowboys. I mean, like that's, this isn't new. So, you may not agree with what you think he, he thinks his value is, but that's not really the point. The point is, what, is, what does he think? Does he have basis for it? And, you know, are you going to eventually stick to that? Now, ultimately, this is the risk that you take when you don't do that, right? Um, this is the risk. Like Le'Veon 
for example, was not willing to take. Um, but, you know, he also, I do think that, you know, from what I'm hearing, I do think the Cowboys are committed to him. And I do think they're going to end up getting a long-term deal done when he comes back. Because they can, they can franchise him next year, I think, for $40 million or something but, like that. But what happens if Dalton comes in? Because here's the thing. There's also, there's a reason why the Cowboys were hesitant to give him the money that he wanted. That's clearly been established. Nobody knows the specifics on what they actually think about Dak. But if they viewed him the way that the Chiefs view Mahomes or even the Rams view Jared Goff, you feel like a deal would have gotten done or the Texans viewed Deshaun Watson. And there's also a, a background, like why did they go in and sign Dalton to a fairly expensive contract, right? Um, what happens if Dalton comes in and they're running the exact same offense? What, what I think, I mean, there, so there's always that risk, right? But I, I don't think that anybody expects that Dalton is going to be their answer moving forward. You know what I mean? Like they're one guy that they're going to commit to and say, this is our starting quarterback. Now it could happen, right? It's happened before. I mean, it happened with Kirk Cousins, it happened with Case Keenum, it's happened with guys. So, so that is, that is part of the risk that he takes. But I think that some of the goodwill that he's built up um, in that city and in that organization, um, the relation, some of the relationships he has, I think that it's going to be, we'll see. And Jerry has been a very loyal guy over history, you know, um, like he a lot of times won't let go until it's the end, you know, the very end. So, and if not, then he'll just go somewhere else. You know, he, that can, that, that could be fine. I think he'll be, you know? I think the fact that it's not a career threatening injury and mm-hmm. that he'll be back regardless of whether the Cowboys sign him or not, um, he will get a big contract somewhere. So I guess that is the silver lining, mm-hmm. but there's a lot here to unpack in terms of how this situation played out. Right. It's almost like it leaves open to interpretation, all the different theories that people had about this contract. It was one of the biggest stories in the off season. So we'll figure out and see how it plays out. Couldn't it be more ironic in how, how things yeah. actually happened. And as far as that, just that division is concerned, I mean, the giants, they're not good. The Eagles are not good. Nobody's good. Yeah. I mean, the Redskins are not good. What are the Redskins doing? I mean, what are we, let's talk about the, the Redskins. What are they doing? What are they doing yeah. with Haskins? I, lo- I think Haskins like wants to trade now. They've demoted him to third. String apparently they Kyle Allen is their guy somehow, and they didn't ever want anything to do with Haskins. That's what some of the yeah. word is coming out of there. Um, what's your interpretation of Haskins, his his talent and his his ability to be successful in the NFL? Because I think part of the problem is when you look at this situation, you kind of it's hard to not look at the games and the tape and and you know and and, and evaluate it from that standpoint. But the advanced eye can look and say, listen, he's not in the right scheme. These, these receivers aren't doing the right thing. This isn't this. If, if he had this, 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 and this, he would be that, right? So how do you look at it? I think he could still be successful in this league. Um, you know, I, I think some of the stuff that they put out about him is unfair and typical. You know, they put out things that he's dyslexic and doesn't work hard and just all the typical stuff they, that they want to always say when they're hating on, especially a young black quarterback. Um, but I think he could be successful. I just, you know, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know what's the right system the situation we, is for him. We go to system and we go to what does the team want to do? The, the thing that bothers me about this scenario is as soon as Kyle Allen was traded for, you and I knew what the coaching staff wanted, mm-hmm. you know, and 
what they want it to be true. You don't trade for another young quarterback. It's very similar to the what they did with Kirk Cousins and RG3. This is a this is an organization that destroys it, self-destructs all the time. Yeah. And and I think when you draft a player, and I, I want to look at this scenario from what we saw last night with Justin Herbert, right? And establishing a system, that offensive coordinator, there's a drastic difference in the style of quarterback that Justin Herbert is versus the style of quarterback that Tyrod Taylor is. Mm-hmm. And that offensive coordinator adjusted the system to the strengths of Justin Herbert. And I bring up Justin Herbert because he is very, he's pretty much the exact same player as Dwayne Haskins. Mm-hmm. Pocket passer. He might be a slightly more athletic, but he's a guy that wants to stay in the pocket and sling that rock, mm-hmm. you know, and you see the difference in how the chargers are approaching this situation versus how the Redskins are approaching this situation. Well, I have a lot of people who also who are fans of Washington and who just, they said they, they were happy that they drafted Haskins, but they knew that they were going to ruin him, you know? Yeah. So it's just, it's sad to me. I hope he gets traded and I hope he gets traded to a, into a situation where he, you know, he has a coach that believes in him. And I think that's one of the most underrated things about sports, especially professional sports, because people just think everybody's just great or they suck. Right. And I think a lot of times people underestimate what you just said is, are they willing to build a system around yeah. you that suits your talent? For example, if it, Lamar Jackson, I mean, they built a system that that works for Lamar Jackson yep. and they knew that they were going to have to do that when they drafted him. You know, yeah. a lot of these coaches aren't either capable of doing that or willing to do that. Uh, and they're so rigid in their ways. That's not the system that Harbaugh was running yeah. with Joe Flacco, you know. So it's, it's again, a mark of, mark of a good coach. And the same thing with, with Bill Belichick. You know, Cam is, is different than Tom Brady. There's some yeah. of the same things that you can do, but there's different things that you have to do. But, you know, you have to adjust to your talent, not try to force your talent to adjust to you. And I think that's what ends up making coaches – be different from each other. You know, when you talk about the levels of coaching, that's what makes them great versus regular. And it goes to a larger conversation we keep trying to have about this expectations that, that athletes are somehow mentally superior and should be stronger than everyone else in society. Look, this is a 21, 22 year old kid that got drafted to your, a kid, right? Like we Mm -hmm. know going back to when we were 18, 19, we thought we knew everything. We Mm -hmm. thought we were mature. Right. And you're still establishing your identity in this mm-hmm. world. And that goes, lends more to even what you're saying in terms of why it's so important to establish a system of support mm-hmm. and establish that culture of support for a young quarterback. And when that doesn't happen, you see the consequences over and over. Look at what just even the Brown, even the Browns. Yes. They, they, I mean, they fired coaches. They've gotten rid of coordinators. They've done, you know, maybe they've done some of the stuff to a fault. Uh, uh, I don't think so because I like where we are now, but to support Baker, yeah. you know, Baker has always felt supported there. Look at what's happened with uh, Lamar Jackson. Again, he's always felt supported there. Right. So yeah. it's not just about the X's and O's. It's also about, do you feel supported, you know, as a quarterback? And that's the most important position you have to feel supported. You, you have, you can't be looking to the sideline if you throw two picks and wonder if you're going to get pulled for the game. Yeah. You know, like not if you're a young quarterback and you are supposed to be the franchise guy, you drafted in the first round. Yeah, and after you, so, and definitely not after you probably post one of your best games mm-hmm. as a quarterback against the toughest defense in the league. Yeah, you, you, that's going to confuse you and, and leave you mentally, mentally very, very confused. Well, I hope he gets out of there, and that's the thing. At the end of the day, you know, this could be a blessing for him because he could have just stayed there and 
waddled and just be become just been mediocre and never really got you know been looked at eventually like Demarcus Russell or something like that. And I don't think he's he's a bust. I think, but I do think he has to go to a place that supports him mentally um, as well as physically and schematically. And I, I hope that that happens sooner than later. Go ahead, Washington, run with Kyle Allen if you want. You know. <laughs> Do whatever you want. Right. Just let, let let free Haskins, as they as the young look, people would say. Look at what Josh Rosen is doing. Right, mm-hmm. he's top ten pick, hasn't been embraced anywhere he's went for real, but now he's in Tampa playing on the practice squad. Why? Because he decided that that was the best place for him developmentally, in terms of having a place that he was supported. Mm-hmm. Even though he's this is a first round top ten pick, mm-hmm. he's had to humble himself and go to practice squad. But he yeah. knows that Tom Brady isn't going to be there forever. Yeah, They don't have an established backup there yet. So the opportunity may be there for Josh Rosen. And I think the same for Dwayne Haskins. I do think, and you probably agree with me, that he needs to be traded somewhere where he's not immediately expected to be the starter. Go play behind an Aaron Rodgers. Not, I'm just throwing names out there. Yeah. Like Wilson or someone who's going to help. Ben Roethlisberger. Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, I hate to say it, but I mean, Haskins, I could see him in, in the Steelers as a Steelers quarterback easily next yep. two years, you know? Yeah. So you're, you're absolutely right. Um, let's transition a little bit, a little bit more NFL talk, and then we'll move to some more uh, current event stuff. Uh, NFL season is, you know, I, t- I tweeted that, it's, you know, it's hanging by a thread, and maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration. But, you know, games have been postponed. Um, the Patriots-Denver game was postponed this week. The Titans game. They got it off. I don't know how they did it, um, despite the cases. NFL is trying to impose stricter standards on all the ball clubs and as it pertains to kind of COVID testing and protocols. Um, but they didn't build in the way that they built the season. They didn't build in much room for error. The, the bye weeks, they didn't build in any extra weeks. Um, but maybe there's just this understanding that if they have to go to week 18 and week 19, that they'll do that and push the, push the Pro Bowl and push the Super Bowl back. As it looks to you right now, does it look like this season is going to finish? Um, no, it doesn't. Um, not saying it won't. You know, there are miracles that can happen. And, you know, what's meant to be will me- is meant to be. You can believe that. But the NFL has failed in establishing what was the plan. Like, we don't know what the plan is. Mm-hmm. Like, whether or not it was stringent enough or not stringent enough, the fact that they had no contingency plan and they seemed to be just moving as it happens and you know and then also just the lack of trust you know jason mccourty came out and said what what he said about he doesn't think that the nfl or the nflpa cares that much and that's saying a lot and i think as we've talked to players throughout the years they've always felt a mistrust from both their union and from the nfl in terms of whether they have their best interests or heart or they really just only care about getting games played and making money. And it's- yeah, I talked to, I talked to a young player probably in August before the season started and asked, you know, you know, what was kind of the pulse of, of his team and whether or not people wanted to play. He said it was like 50, 50. He said it was like 50% wanted to play and went just like ready to pound through it. And the other 50% didn't want to because they didn't feel like they were, they were, it was safe or they were being protected. Uh, and it's a kind of weird when you think about it too, because you know, the NFL had a lot of time. I mean, they were the only organization that really had time. NHL was cut in the middle of the season. Baseball was cut probably right before spring training. Uh, NBA was cut in the middle of the season. You know, but the NFL had months to kind of figure this thing out. And they have the resources. This isn't like, 
you know, it's not hard. And these guys are professionals, so they could have imposed, you know, certain bubbles. And, you know, I, I, obviously there's nothing. It's, it's, it's a little harder. It's a it wasn't going to be harder. foolproof like the NBA. Yeah. But uh, but the, the, it's really less, even less so much, so much about protocols, more just about kind of like flexibility within scheduling. Like yeah. understanding that you can't do a double header like baseball did and make up a game. Yeah. Or, or acknowledging, you know, what is it? Conti- Maybe this needs to be a 12 game season this year or a 14 game season or with multiple bye weeks built into, you know, like where's that part of it, the planning? And that's the thing to me that's just, it just seems weird. It doesn't, it doesn't even like really make sense because it's, it's something that I feel like they should have done to protect their own brand and their own revenue, not like something that you needed to do to appease the public. But for your own business, it makes sense. Like, okay, well, what happens if the game gets postponed? Well, we'll move it to this week because we designated these two weeks for bye weeks. Like, I mean, it just seemed like it could have been much, much better, but it just shows you about leadership in this country. Just because people have a lot of money doesn't mean that they're great leaders. And also, it's like once you do get a lot of money and you establish yourself, we've all seen this. And, and anybody who pays attention to the NFL, is it succeeding despite itself? It's not forward looking. It's mm-hmm. not, they're not thinking about how do we make our brand better? It's just about we need our stadiums full. We need we need our TV revenue, and we need these guys to come out and play because it makes sense when you care about your players, right? Mm-hmm. And and you understand that they are the brand. The NFL doesn't view their players as the brand. They mm-hmm. don't. Right. Um, and 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 that's a major major problem. And we'll see like how this plays out because. You never know. Baseball was the number one sport for a long time. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. thought it was never going to be taken off of its stoop as America's pastime. Right. Like where baseball is now. Um, and we just, you know, I hope for the best because I love football. I love the product. I love everything about the NFL except for the way that it's run and some of these issues that, that exist behind the scenes. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I think this is going to be, this is going to keep popping up. It's, you have all these different essentially clusters of people in different cities who are responsible for each other. And you have, you know, young people. And, and, and even if you're being careful, I mean, there are many people who have been careful who still contracted the disease. And um, so, you know, that, testing is important though. And this is one of the reasons why testing is important um, is because you can quickly identify and, and isolate and contact trace. That's, that's the reason why testing is so important. It's not going to necessarily prevent an individual from getting the disease, but it can definitely prevent people from spreading it. So, I think um, they have a reasonable shot because they have really good testing, um, but they're going to be more cancellations and stuff like that. And we just have to, we'll just, we'll see how they deal with it. But I think the season's not, is not going to end in week 17. I just don't understand the, the, from the incubation standpoint, it seems like the timeline, once you establish someone new turn positive, just because the cases all come back negative the next day, like look at what happened with, with Gilmore. Yeah. Patriots. He yeah. likely he tested negative all week, and somehow he tests positive later on. Right, you know? right. Um, and this is the Patriots organization who is, despite the NFL's problems, is probably one of the most well-run organizations. They had all the players that were exposed to Cam fly on a separate plane. Like they are taking internal protocols beyond the measures of the NFL. But even in a situation like that. How reliable is this testing? If someone pops up positive on Saturday, how can you play games on Sunday? Not knowing right. if someone might pop up positive yeah. two or three days later. That's true. So so we'll see. And that's that's the thing that I think that there we'll probably see more of as the season continues to go on. But 
you know, we've gotten through five games. We just hope for as Browns fans, we hope they can figure out a way to play safe. Yeah. See how this season, be so season will be. It'll be very typical. But the funny thing is, we, you know, on a, it's interesting because we're talking about part of what we were talking about with the NFL is kind of like, you know, things lasting forever and ratings and, and money and all that type of stuff. And uh, it seems as though in previous years, we would have led with this story, which is that the Lakers won their championship and LeBron won his fourth ring. And I think in some circles, basketball circles, I think it's, you know, people are talking about it, but it's not as big of a story as it, as, as it would have been in previous years. Um, there are a number of reasons for that, in my opinion. Uh, I've seen some articles on that. And, you know, the ratings aren't just down in the NBA. They're down in the MLB. They're down in the NHL. They're down in even the NFL, you know. Um, not to mention, you know, some of the social justice stuff, the timing, you know, the perceived competition, the bubble, all these different types of things. But the reality of it is, you know, when you if you watched, and, and I remember you telling me this earlier, that this is some of the best basketball. The playoffs were some of the best basketball that you felt like, you know, and you felt like people were missing out. Um, and the Lakers won and LeBron has his fourth championship and you can criticize it and nitpick it all you want, but that is the reality. How do you think this, you know, what does this do? Cause like, at the end of the day, this is what matters, right? What is it to, to most pop culture? Most people who are talking about this is what does this do for his legacy? Does it, does it inch him closer in your mind in a, in a meaningful way? Cause I know Jordan is your goat. Do, does it inch him closer there? Does it, is it not as that impressive? Do you put an asterisk next to it? How do you just evaluate this in the, in the grander scheme of, of, of basketball in, in history? I think, I think the grander scheme is most, most important. Like I don't even want to get mulled down by the conversation, the GOAT conversation mm-hmm. between LeBron and Jordan, because I think by doing so, you lose perspective on why LeBron matters um, more so than what he does on the basketball court. I think what LeBron has done is obviously been created by some of the sacrifices that previous generations made and had to make in terms of being able to control your own narrative, control your own story, control your own brand. Um, That I think he is kind of the synthesis of a lot of the sacrifices going all the way back to Bill Russell some of the things that they were trying to establish for young black athletes to have the opportunity to do. Mm-hmm. And what you see with LeBron, he's a very polarizing figure because he knows what he wants and he gets what he wants and he doesn't depend on other people to get that for him. Well, I think um, that's, I think that's a, a, a great point because one of the things that happens a lot of times, or at least the, the, cop-outs that people use a lot of times when people start doing other things off the court. They start saying, ah, he doesn't really care about the sport. Ah, he only cares about being famous. Ah, he only cares about his money. But the balance, and I think that's the most impressive thing, the balance that he's been, been able to strike between being an elite, determined competitor and athlete who sacrifices his body and, and everything um, to win, but then also finds the time to create these other ventures you know from the starting the school and obviously his business ventures um and being a role model to a lot of the younger generation that's coming up and then the sustained success i mean this is his 17th season i just we haven't we haven't seen anything like that and i think that's right i think we should not get bogged down in the goat conversation because it dilutes both of them their accomplishments right and it, and it makes you view things in a lens that really will, will make you not value them individually 
the way they, they need to be valued. Um, and then also, they shouldn't even really be compared. They don't play the same position. They didn't contribute the same type of skill set to the game. They played in different eras. Um, their impact off the court was was different, right? Not just it's 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 a cool barbershop conversation, but at the end of the day, I think you're a hundred percent right that it it makes you not really appreciate both of them individually well, as much it, as they should be. Well, and specifically from from a, the LeBron standpoint, what he does and serves as a role model to a lot of people from a place like Akron, Ohio, and, mm-hmm. and now the world, young kids that grew up in the circumstances that he grew mm-hmm. up in. Very Do important. Not make it out, and yep. he's showing every single day. Not only no college, you know, no, no college, no, yeah. difficult upbringing, mm-hmm. no father. Yep. Whatever flaws he has, and things that people nitpick about him, you know this. It's it's in, as I've matured, he used to annoy me in mm-hmm. certain ways and certain mm-hmm. things that he did. Like you're great, you know. But I think you have to evaluate him from the circumstances. Yeah. There's been no child star. He is a child star mm-hmm. that has as clean and flawless of an image um, as a role model as he does. Whether you like his personality, yeah. you don't like that he's cocky, you don't like... He had to tell himself those things to yeah. be where he was and had to force himself to believe them. And they may rub people the wrong way, but I, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't know any great that doesn't rub. Todd Brady rubs people the wrong way. Yep. You know, um, Michael Jordan rubbed people the wrong. Kobe, I mean, you know, like that's... That's kind of Larry Bird. I mean, that's kind of what comes yeah. with it, right? A lot of those guys at that level are rub people. Ronaldo, I mean, they rub people the wrong way. <laughs> that's just that's part of it is because they've convinced themselves that they're the best. And that is part of the reason why they are the best. Yeah. And eventually it's going to come out. And if you interview them 100 times and put a camera in front of their face 97 times a, a, a minute, then they're going to end up saying something that you don't like. Yeah. But ultimately, I think that's why it's bigger than that. You have to be able to analyze other things. What else? What else are they doing? Um, you know, how have they embraced the community? How do they treat, you know, fans? How do they, you know, and those type of things. Um, it's, it's, it's just been amazing to watch. And, and, I, and to me, I don't diminish this championship in any way. Um, I think that he played who was in front of him and everybody else had the chance, the, the Clippers and all the other teams that people were talking about were going to beat them, Giannis and all these people, they all had the chance. I mean, Giannis got hurt, but they all had the chance to get there and they didn't. And yep. he played who was in front of him. And they won. I mean, it's just fair and square. Like, I, I, yeah. I, I don't know what pe- people want to have all these perfect circumstances that he has to have for him to get credit. And I just don't subscribe to that. Well, and so. I also think, you know, and that, you know, part of the reason that I think people aren't talking about it, and I saw some commentary from people are revealing themselves on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that a lot of people are bothered by his stances on social issues, is mm-hmm. being unapologetic in, in fighting for the rights of black people in this country. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't act like your criticism of him is always based on what he's doing on a basketball court. No, it is based for a lot of people on some of these other things that bother a certain population of people that, that he does. And he doesn't. And and I actually respect it because he stands for something. This dude told me the other day. Yeah. This dude told me the other day that he, 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 uh, cause we were, I was watching the game and he had said, like, oh, come on, Miami, or something like that. Like, he, it was clear that he wanted Miami to win. And there's a guy that's from Cleveland. So I was like, wait, I was like, why, why, you don't want the Lakers to win? He's like, no, I can't stand LeBron. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, I couldn't even stand him when he was in Cleveland. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, I, I just, he's like, he thinks he's so smart. He thinks he's, you know, he's, 
I, I hate how he his views and he who he thinks he's so smart and all this stuff. I was like, that's interesting. You know, uh, you know, typically like if you're a fan of a team and he's a Cavs fan, yeah. if you're a fan of a team, <laughs> you know, you'll deal with deal the with, one guy that delivered a championship to your like what to your city. Yeah, yeah. like it's kind of like how I am with Baker. You know, I don't yeah. really like Baker personally, like his personality wise and type of stuff. But if he delivers, then you know, I'm not going to root against him. You know what I mean? Like it's just. It's just interesting. So, you know, but, but you're right. He is that level. He's, that's just an illustration of how polarizing he has become unjustifiably in my mind, but yeah. whatever, to the point where even a Cavs fan was rooting against him, even when he was in Cleveland. So, and typically that happens like in this country, when, when, when a minority like LeBron starts establishing his power and his own identity and isn't dependent on anyone mm-hmm. that will start rubbing people though the wrong way it happens in every single scenario so yeah yeah i mean people think he's you know i've heard i've heard the comments i've seen the comments and they think he's too big for his britches and he thinks he's this and he thinks he's you know muhammad ali but he's not or whatever it is that they try to say you know he's just gonna like and that's what i like about him i think i think it took him a while to kind of get comfortable um because again he was a young kid with not not, you know didn't grow up in the, the best of circumstances so a lot of the early years that we saw was him trying to figure out who he is, including the decision. Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, but he, after, he gets blamed for that, even though it wasn't his idea, he was trying to support one of his friend's ideas, which is also something that I think is lost in that narrative of, of just blaming LeBron for the decision. Yeah. And so, you know, to me, like I said, in the grand scheme of things, I think this, this definitely inches him closer if, to the GOAT. You know, if, if people want to ask about that specifically, for sure, it inches him closer, right? Because the knock was always about winning championships. You know, how many championships did he have and losing finals and stuff like that. So, yeah, winning another one obviously inches you closer um, objectively, right? But, in term, but, but I also respect what your, your framing of this. And let's not get bogged down in that conversation of who's the GOAT because it distracts away from, from the greatness and, and, and just the, the overall beauty of yeah. everything that he's kind of brought to, to society um, through the sport of basketball. So there's something, there's something to be said for him and, and there's something for all of us to take away from his story. They can help us get better at whatever our goals are in life. You know, right. and I think you framed this another way. Why sports matter so much. Like LeBron is a role model to me more f- from a business standpoint than he'll ever be as a basketball player because, mm-hmm. you know, seeing what he's done for other people mm-hmm. and, and the opportunities he's created for so many different people to shine, mm-hmm. that legacy isn't going to be measured by whether he's the GOAT or not. It's going to be measured by how those people in his personal life value him and the opportunities he's created for himself. You're not always going to be liked when you have a goal and you're successful yeah. But he is successful in accomplishing well, his goals. Well, you just br- and you just brought up another point too that I just I have to mention before we move on is Rich Paul. And I think Rich, you know, I when I remember when he was trying to orchestrate all of this stuff with the Lakers, people were saying, Oh, he's gonna ruin the Lakers, he doesn't know what he's doing. You know, you know, even you know, Lonzo's dad came out and said the Lakers will never win, you know, without yeah. you know, like and no, he orchestrated the championship team. Yeah, you know, so all these props that you guys are giving all these other agents and saying, "Oh, they do this and great," and not to mention the deals that he got his guys right and the and the yep. protections that they had for the pandemic potentially if they didn't play. But let's give him his flowers too. You know, this yeah. is the, and, and and that goes back to LeBron again, giving somebody who wouldn't traditionally have had this opportunity, giving him an opportunity to go out here and shine and make moves. And Rich has studied the game. He's he's put he puts in the work. 
He's one of the hardest working people. He doesn't take anything for granted. He knows his relationship with LeBron, but he also has built tons of other relationships with other people yeah. and he makes shit happen. You know what and I mean? And the loyalty, the loyalty aspect, right? Because mm -hmm. the people probably were at his neck about getting rid of Maverick Carter after the decision and orchestrating mm -hmm. the decision, the idea. Yep. The same with Rich Paul. I'm sure there's yep. certain things. And LeBron was able to filter out all that noise. And even when his guys made mistakes, mm -hmm. I'm sure Rich has made many mistakes. I'm sure Maverick has made many mistakes. But it's like allowing those guys to grow into themselves along with him. It's it's just it's fascinating. I mean, people talk about this, but it just it just needs to be established and evaluating who he is and what he is. Um, For sure. For sure. Well, let's talk some current event stuff before we get out of here, because there's a lot of stuff happening in society. And it's just, for me, it's been an overwhelming time, right? Because it's just, you know, it's just, we talked a little bit about this earlier in the intro, but just like, there's just so much stuff going on right now um, related to the kind of the current state of affairs in society and the pandemic. Um, you know, you have the, the stimulus situation, for example. I mean, our government is just really, really, it's just disheartening to watch what's happening there. You know, I mean, obviously Trump, but then also what Democrats are doing and not doing and just spinelessness that I see from that, that side of things and the confirmation hearing, just, just like, it's, I almost feel like sometimes I'm watching the movie or like, I'm like, they like dreaming, like this isn't real, you know, what are they even, what, what is going on? V? I mean, I think we're... And then, hold on, let me say one other thing. And then you have Trump's diversity training executive order, which basically doesn't want people to train on diversity, doesn't want the words you, white privilege used. It feels like it's, it's, it's racist to talk about diversity. Like, what the fuck is going on? I mean, Jesus, what is going on in this place? We're a country that's completely lost its way. Um, and I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. If you just take a moment and you listen to yourself talk, and see how much insecurity you feel, how much vitriol you feel toward whatever the perceived other side is. And you look at what's happening and how it's impacting our view, the view and the brand of America as a whole. There's no way that you can look at it, whether you're a Trump supporter or a Biden supporter, and not say that <clears throat> neither one of those choices are going to solve some of the fundamental issues that we're having as a country. You have these politicians that are so disconnected from generations and generations. You know, and Vin Gupta talked about this, where it's not based on merit and it's based on, you know, succession and it's based on a, a lot of these things where I don't think a lot of these people even know what they're in office for, mm -hmm. right? And it's like, you what the oath that you swear as a president, as a senator, as a representative it's to represent all people, not to represent conservatives, not to represent liberals, and to be able to have a dialogue over differences in opinion and come to a conclusion that's fair and that's unbiased. That's what the greatness of this country was supposedly built on, is representation. And it's, it's failing miserably. But, you know, and you, but when you do a deeper dive, and you and I have done this in, on other occasions, you realize that this country is doing exactly what it was set up to do, you know? Yeah. When you, when, first of all, when you inherit a land the way you inherited this land and then built it the way you built it, you already established a system of uh, oppression and the people at the top 
getting rich and then unfavorable conditions for the people at the bottom. You already established that. That's how this country was built. Yeah. So to think that it was going to, regardless of what they wrote in the Constitution, <clears throat> for, to think that, they, that this was going to magically turn into something else uh, over time because those are the quote-unquote stated ideals, just wasn't really true. And in fact, the reality is a lot of the things that we're seeing uh, in terms of inequality in different areas are just the same story being written a different way. Uh, you know, before it was <clears throat> in your face, boycott, in, in your face, uh, you know, no blacks allowed or th- that type of thing, dogs on you and, you know, in your face type of stuff. And then they realized that didn't work. So then they started with, you know, redlining and, you know, predatory loans and, you know, voter suppression. You know, they, it just, it, the thing keeps getting changed because the people at the top, and like you said, regardless of what side they're on, <clears throat> the people at the top have an interest of maintaining the power. Yep. And that's one of the things that this pandemic exposed. This country operates in a lot of ways like a third world country. Yep. <clears throat> People think that it's so first world and this whole American dream. First of all, the American dream is American lottery. That's what it is. Yeah. Most people in this country are in debt. People somehow bought into this idea that they can be Bill Gates. And that's the thing that keeps this country running. Yeah. But the reality is that, no, most of you cannot be. Most of us cannot be. Uh, it's just not set up that way. You don't even realize the things that people need and that people get access to, to even make those type of things a reality from resources to loans, structures, taxes, accountants, what it takes to actually even put yourself in that position. Um, so this, this, unfortunately, a lot of things have been, are, are being exposed even bigger than they were before because people are starting to see, wait, all these things that were, I was taught about education being great, healthcare being great, you know, uh, leadership being great, violence being down, all these type of things are being exposed now. People are people don't have health care. People can't find a job. There's no stimulus coming, so there's no help from the help from the government taxes that we've paid. Excuse me. Um, people are struggling, and it doesn't seem like people care. And then people realize, like, wait, I'm in debt. I, I don't even have seventy percent of people don't have four hundred dollars saved for a rainy day. There's no one that they can go to. And you're in debt. So you're starting to realize, okay, this society, what I, what I thought was prosperous, right? This great job that I had, I'm actually was living check to check in a lot of ways. I was living check to check, even though I had a great job, so to speak, and I held great benefits. I was essentially living check to check. And most people in this country are living that way. Mm -hmm. And so it's a lot of, a lot of stuff that, um, like I said, I feel like it's working the way it's intended to work for the people at the top. Look, I mean, I always go back to this, like men lie, women lie. But if you look at the data, it, it doesn't lie mm-hmm. to you, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I, I've probably repeated this stat a hundred times throughout the show that 70% of this country's economy is dependent on consumption. Mm-hmm. So when you have a country that's that dependent on consumption, you are going to put yourself and try to people at the top we're going to try to make sure that that sustains because mm-hmm. if you're financially responsible and you're financially viable, that means that your savings rate is higher than mm-hmm. your consumption rate. Mm-hmm. So when you balance that and then you look at this country and it's like, what it does is it preys on the psychology that develops through oppression, yep. people's insecurities, yep. people's issues. That's why you see a commercial or ad every place that you go on bus stops, on buses, on steps in New York city, there's, there's their advertisements, anything they can do to get you to spend. And the people at the top, the richest people, the Jeff Bezos of the world, all of them have gotten richer since this pandemic is hit. All of them. 
and, and they want to, and you talk about pet check to check and it's, a, it's important to distinguish it's check to check, regardless of whether you're making 30,000 or you're making 150,000 because the system is trained for you. If you're making 150,000 to live this so-called 150,000 air lifestyle. Yep. And you think about, we talked about it with Rick Ross last week, if you're making 150,000 and, and you spend three or $4,000 a year on designer clothes, mm-hmm. that's three or $4,000 that isn't going to your child's um, in fund. And not to mention, and not to mention the debt that you, you more than likely incurred to get to your point where you're making $150,000 a You're probably a year. living in a $500,000 apartment or condo or house. It's crazy. You're, you're driving a sixty thousand dollar car that you're yep. buying on loans. Yeah. You have student loans that you've accrued. Mm-hmm. So credit card loans. This is credit our- card. I just like you know I I told you this too like recently I've done like a deep dive into my, some of my credit cards and I'm like looking at some of these APRs like twenty two percent. I'm like they, I've been getting killed and no wonder why you pay your minimum balance in the next month it's it's almost like it's higher than it was before you know and most Americans have tons of credit card debt. Um, on top of all the other debt that we're talking about, that's that's how you keep people dependent. They've kept, they've figured out systems to keep people dependent and to keep people on edge and insecure. And that's I mean, how it, you control. They've used yeah. as mechanisms to control society. Beyond the credit cards, look at what they do to people who are already poor and broken with these mm. cash. Go to the hood, yep. you know, and go to low income, any low income neighborhood in the United States. What do you see? Payday loan. Mm-hmm. offices and stores yep. making hundreds of percent. Mm-hmm. And you realize how hard it is. You know, this is why I love the, the stock market so much is because it's given me perspective on what making money actually means. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like to make 7%, to make 8%. Once you realize how difficult it is mm-hmm. to make even that type of money, yeah. you realize how messed up the credit card system is. The, the loan system is it's like, even if you're getting good interest rates mm-hmm. to actually make up the difference between that interest and what you're actually making. Yep. It's, it's set up to be. Impossible. And then also we're not taught how to manage, manage debt or manage it's finances or any of that stuff. It's completely intentional. The thing is the smarter society, smarter you society you have, the more, at least this is how they view it, the more in danger they are. So there's a reason why there's certain things that we don't learn why the curriculum is just basic bland curriculum. They're not teaching about history properly. They're not teaching about finances. They're not teaching about relationships and life. They're not teaching about any of that type of stuff, you know? So, and it's deliberate. Um, And that's why we end up with the kind of leaders that we have who are going to keep pushing for their agenda to stay rich. I mean, that's, that's, that's where we are. So as far as that, you know, there's, you know, I guess there's some good news that came out of this killer Mike and some others have started a new bank, um, black owned bank. And I, I think it's set to open in January and they already have like tens of thousands of people in line waiting to give money to that. Uh, I guess the reason why that's significant <clears throat> for people who may not understand is that, you know, when you're talking about kind of a, establishing, um, you know, a community and, and, and establishing a community that's autonomous, one of the things that needs to happen is them being able to control their own money. Um, and, and being able to control who gets money and loans and all those different types of things. So that's why this is uh, a potentially significant step, um, at least in that, in that area for them starting this bank. Yeah. I mean, killer Mark is very outspoken and in, in the things that he says, I don't agree with everything that he says, obviously, Mm -hmm. but he always comes from a educated perspective. Mm -hmm. His opinions are not just based on randomness. 
Right. Um, and I think he, he's been very outspoken in, in establishing the fact that in many ways the black community was better when things were segregated and they were forced to create their own businesses and were allowed, quite frankly, allowed, allowed. to create. And weren't bombed out of them. Yeah. Allowed to create their own economy. Like one of America's greatest scars is what happened in Omaha, Omaha with Black Wall Street. Tulsa, know? yeah. Sorry, Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this this bank is named Greenwood as as kind of a a, a, a credit to that. Mm-hmm. But you saw the potential that black Americans had when they were allowed to create businesses and create without without the issues. Um, like you, you mentioned some of them before, redlining, the mm-hmm. lack of ability to when, when you're a, a, a white entrepreneur and you go into a bank trying to get a loan versus whether you're a white entrepreneur from housing and the importance of owning a home and how mm-hmm. that allows you to also build businesses and build other interests through mm-hmm. the leverage that's created through the equity you own in your home. Yeah. Um, and I think that this is powerful and I hope that it's not destroyed, but I do think what Killer Mike is doing is instead of talking about it and complaining about it, he's trying. And that's a, that's a money where your mouth is, uh, is kind of thing, which is what I'm, you know, also trying to do, trying to be focused on. Cause you know, we talk about a lot of stuff on the show and I know you are also, yeah. um, but it, it, you know, we do have the ability to be, to do, to do more, you know, and that's kind of what I would encourage everyone to do is take a, take a look and take a step back. I know times are tough and I know people are dealing with a lot of things, um, but the things that you are, that you claim are important to you, um, the things that you bitch about on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, you know, <clears throat> figure out a way to, to, to attack some of those things. And it, and it doesn't have to be of the grandest of scales of starting a bank, but it could be something as simple as, I don't know, starting dialogue in your community or something. So it's a hard thing, right? The system is what it is. Mm-hmm. We're all dealing with a lot mentally. People's families are going through things. People are going through things in their their professional careers. Mm -hmm. Then also the landscape of America. We live in a very divisive, very, very polarized time in our country. Either you're Mm -hmm. either you hold one position, it's it's just the truth. Either you're grounded in one position, which is that all people are equal and everybody deserves equal opportunity, or you're in that capitalist mindset where it's all about protecting whatever privilege that I have. Mm-hmm. And the system needs to be one that encourages, encourages that there's no, there's no, no middle ground. And, yeah. and so everyone has to figure out ways. It's not an easy thing to reconcile, but the best and you have to be intentional about it too. And I think that's yeah. the other thing is like, you have to be honest and intentional, you know, what, what potential biases or oppression have you contributed to personally, right? Like there's, there are all different types of privilege. People talk about white privilege a lot. Um, but that's not the only type of privilege. There's no, also ma- male privilege. There's also, you know, I don't know, height privilege. I don't know. There's different types of pri- pri- age privilege. I mean, there's different studies types of privilege. on all of this thing. If you're six, yeah. if you're six four, um, you're more likely to get a job than if you're five five four. You so know? that's so th- th- those are things, and, and and that you have to in your own life take inventory of and say, okay, what what am I doing to contribute? You know, do I hire women or people of of color or people of you know LGBTQ? community? Do I, do I interact with them? Do I give them opportunities in the limited, you know, power that I have in my business or whatever it is? Like, those are questions that people have to, to, to start asking themselves and be honest about individually and not just pointing the figure, finger at everybody else. And, and I think you and I talk about this a lot is respecting the people who have a perspective that you don't, right? Mm-hmm. Like no man 
can appreciate the perspective of a woman who's kind of gone through the system of oppression. No white person can fully understand and appreciate. It's one thing to say, to, to, you actually have to appreciate that that perspective is one that you'll never have. And as a result, you have to pay a certain level of respect to them knowing more than you do about ways to fix those. And that just comes down to caring also too, you know what I mean? And being able to look outside of yourself and, you know, there's some people that just don't care and they'll tell you like, look, man, I just, I just want to get mine. I'm not, I don't care about what everybody else is going through. They need to work hard. Like I'm working hard. And that, that person is just, they are who they are. But if you are a person that claims that that you do care, then you do have to take a step back and, and see how you're potentially contributing or how you can make things better. And that's just, I mean, that's just the goal I think that we should all have. You know, one thing I want to mention about that is like, we talked about this last week with what, what Kamala Harris actually has to be do by virtue of being Kamala Harris. You can't, Mm -hmm. there are, there are prejudices that have been established Mm -hmm. in society about the outspoken woman, the outspoken Mm -hmm. black person, Mm -hmm. the outspoken black woman that she has to be sensitive to that no other candidate that's right. She can't seem like the angry black woman and she knows that. And that's one of the things that, you know, society, when people want to talk about like, Oh, racism an issue and stuff like that. And there's, this, there's, there's there's these small things that people don't realize. Like even, you know, with me, not everyone that seemed like the angry black man when I was in corporate America or like, you know, thing, people would say confused. One time I got confused for a mailman and stuff like that. And you're just supposed to kind of just deal with it and just move on. You know what I mean? Like if I were to get upset or angry, then all of a sudden that would feed into certain stereotypes about uh, um, that have been created. So there's a lot of that balance that has to happen. And I'm not saying that she's the only person that has to do that, but it, it, it you're right. It sheds light on kind of the, the circumstances that people are living in under America, in America and some of the things that need to be changed. And hopefully we can all contribute to that. You know, I think, I, and, and that's really my kind of my final thought on that personally is, you know, everything's not going to change overnight, but there are things that can change. And there are definitely things that can change in your environment and your individual circumstances. And the more people that take accountability for that, uh, the better this place can be. But if, it, if if not, this this no society has to last forever. You know, no society, no society has ever last. has. Yeah, exactly. You know, so. no, no established power has always held power forever. So. No, exactly. All right, let's get one last thing, uh, some more on a higher note before we get out of here. Let's talk some fantasy, fantasy football. So uh, it looks like you got another, your team is steamrolling. Um, you four and one now, it looks like. Not sure. There's still a chance I could lose. Oh, come on, V. Listen, four, you're four, four and one. He's got, he's got, he's got three explosive players playing tonight. Okay. So, and, well, either either way, your team is your team is steamrolling. Uh, unfortunately, Keenan Allen got injured. Otherwise, you would have put up more points, probably a high score. Um, my team is starting to try to make a comeback, but I just Deontay Johnson keeps getting hurt like the first play of every game. It's just, yeah. it's just killing me. Um, but oh, but outside of our teams, you know, there's there's there've been some you know, some surprises. I mean, you've had uh, Claypool, who's not, you know, I think Claypool has been, he's obviously talented dude, but he's Second also round pick opportunity, you know, right, with Deontay getting hurt. And um, James Conner was hurt at a certain point in time. So he's going to get his. Um, you got the Fulgham dude from from the Eagles, who was a six-round pick a couple years ago and bounced around, got cut from a couple teams. And, you know, just by circumstances of uh, Jalen, being out, Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey being out, he's got an opportunity and balled out 10 catches, I think 150 plus yards. Yeah. Um, you've had some surprises like that. Uh, what else do you see, you know, from, from fantasy? Is, is there, 
you know, are there players that are still being overvalued players that are being undervalued? Just give, give us a couple of names on that and then we'll get out of here. <laughs> I mean, this is the most beautiful thing about, about the stories of the NFL, right? You, we've heard these stories. We have friends who weren't supposed to be in the NFL, mm -hmm. but the right situation presented itself, the right opportunity presented itself. And suddenly they, guys that probably may have never seen the field become stars. Mm -hmm. um, yep. and, and you live and you love these stories. Yeah. Um, so there, there's that. And I do think what we're seeing is very, very, very good offensive football in the NFL now from mm -hmm. the teams to players getting opportunities. I mean, look at, and then you also evaluate, you have to evaluate things through the lens of a system. Like, and I asked this question in our, in our fantasy group chat the other day is like, what does Mike Davis doing what he does say about Christian McCaffrey? Right. Mm -hmm. like, if they were under a different system, which Mike Davis was, he was a backup to David Montgomery in Chicago, right? Yeah. 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 He was. He couldn't do anything there. Yeah. But the system that the Carolina Panthers established that highlights Christian McCaffrey, because I'm not trying to say, oh, Mike Davis is just as good as Christian right. McCaffrey. Right. 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 But if Christian McCaffrey went to a different, we talked about this with it's the Belichick. It's the Belichick thing, right? It's yep. just like that. Like, you know, Matt Castle came in and won 11 games that year. Tom Brady got hurt. And, you know, he's, he's won games with Garoppolo and, um, <clears throat> you know, our boy, what's, what's our boy that uh, went to the Colts? I can't even remember his name. Hoyer. But, Was it Hoyer? Yeah, no, Hoyer, no, 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 not Hoyer. Uh, he's still there. Can't think of his name. I don't know why I can't think of his name. But, you know, I mean, that that's, you know, and even Tom Brady. You know, like how he got his break. I mean, Tom Brady was a six-round draft pick. Obviously, he had basic, you know, the a basic amount of professional skill set. I think that's true for almost anybody who gets to that level. But what you actually ultimately become a lot of times can depend on the on the on the scheme, you know, yeah. and and the circumstances that you're in. So, um, so and the Steelers. I mean, look at look at what you're talking about in terms of your scouting and talent evaluation. They lost one of potentially think about the receivers they've lost over the yeah, years. Right. Like Joe Burris. Yeah. Um, Antonio lost. Brown, Mike Antonio Wallace. Brown, Mike Wallace. These guys, Antonio yeah. Brown has people are Emmanuel saying he's one of the best receivers of all time. But they Emmanuel just, Sanders who's still producing, yeah. you know, and he they was there. just replace uh, and scout that position better than it's amazing team in the NFL. It's amazing. And it's then, and, and then, and then Ben being healthy, helps helps them too because he can he can get them the ball he can get yeah. those guys the ball and they scheme well for it but yeah i mean i think you know if you're talking about names obviously you know if we were doing a redraft this year russell josh allen you know aaron Rodgers, a lot of the quarterbacks um probably would have gone a lot higher Gurley, i mean i don't know I, don't, I haven't really watched so many atlanta games but it seems like his stats are always good uh, he's a guy that may have been slipped on a little bit yeah, I mean, you can't just assume that the guy who was the best running back in the NFL at under 30 years old is just falling off a cliff. He might be yeah. on borrowed time. Right. There's a reason why he was as good as he was. And yeah. he's in the right system that creates opportunities, um, the right opportunities for him and puts him in a position to succeed. Last question. This is kind of not just fantasy related, but football related is the Raiders. You know, I mean, they beat the Chiefs first team to do it. Um, are they for real in your mind or, or, or is that just, you know, a division thing or a circumstance or what? They look legit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, yeah. it, it goes back to 
Derek Carr and David Carr prevent, present a very interesting storyline that I think football heads talk about a lot. It's not mm-hmm. the sexiest thing to do. It's not going to necessarily sell the most seats. But the reason the Raiders are as good as they are is because they probably have the best offensive line now between them and the Colts. Mm-hmm. The two best offensive lines in football. And when you establish that and you give your quarterback any professional level QB, the opportunity to actually go through his progressions, make plays, be able to establish a running game, it does wonders for any team in the NFL. Yeah. And so, yes, they are official. They have a lot of good young talent, too. Obviously, Josh Jacobs. They got Darren Waller, who's balling. They got Ruggs out there, Brian Edwards, Renfro. Yes. Young, talented guys um, with fresh legs. They even brought Devontae Booker over there, who had a pretty good game. <clears throat> uh, so they, they, and they're young defense, too. Mm-hmm. And, aggressive and, and the thing about we go back full circle to this john gruden is going to live or die by the identity that he wants to create mm-hmm. and he's creating an identity and right now we're early in the season but now the Khalil Mack trade doesn't look as bad right mm-hmm. because they're spreading out that talent yeah um and they're getting other players that they that as a result of Khalil Mack. And ultimately it's just it's about winning, you know, yeah. you know, figuring out a way to win. And that's what this league is about ultimately. You know, it's it's you know, you can see the Browns had those same players last year and they didn't win. Right. So, yeah. you know, it's not just about having talent. It's about figuring out a way to win, no matter what moves you make, putting W's together. So <clears throat> we'll see. Good, interesting season so far. I think there are a lot of cool storylines, a lot of young quarterbacks making noise. Um, yeah. Kyler Kyler's doing well, obviously. Um um, Josh Allen's Beaston, Lamar Jackson, you know, Baker's trying to get into that category. You mentioned Justin Herbert earlier. Um, it's it's a lot of a lot of good good storylines. Enjoy this week to week. If you're a football fan, NFL fan, you know, I know fantasy football makes us all kind of have to think and look forward and say, Oh, what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? But mm-hmm. the way I'm looking at fantasy is and, and you say this a lot, is fantasy is a week to week thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really forcing us all to look at it as a week-to-week thing and enjoying whatever we can while we can. And and I'm hoping and praying that we see the se- season finish because I think we're going to have a very, very exciting playoffs. Yeah. I mean, not to mention Tom Brady and Tampa Bay lurking back there too. So yep. this, this, this could be good. All right. That's all we have for news and notes. Listen to the Pilot Boys podcast. Ondo Media here in Columbus has been working with us to keep the Pilot Boys in production during the pandemic as well as getting our YouTube videos going. It's all about telling your story to your audience. So give John at Ondo Media a shout. You can find all of their media consulting at ondomedia.com. That's all we have for today's show. Big thanks to our guest, Zach Smith. Thanks to everybody for listening. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Subscribe to the Pilot Boys podcast on Apple, Spotify, Patreon, and YouTube. And please follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And again, I wanted to thank you guys for a great 50 episodes. Um, v, obviously, you've been amazing as a co-host. And, you know, the fan base that we've been able to build has been amazing. It's helped, helped keep this show going. Uh, I'm excited for you guys. I look forward to, to listening to you and Partha. I think you guys are going to bring uh, great, great, great energy and continue, you know, along what we've built here. Um, so good luck to you guys as, as you guys continue to move forward with the Pilot Boys podcast. Definitely. And always remember. Be you. You always fly. Pilot boys out. Pilot boys out.